0: Portion of Scripture was actually from the Gospel of Mark, but it kind of ties in with what we're going to talk about tonight. Ephesians chapter three. How you guys doing? Good. Good. All right. I mean, it's Sunday night. It's a little late. You know, it's getting darker outside. I don't know. Are you guys asleep? I, I like, you know, wake up in the morning, and it's dark outside, and it feels like it's like almost wintertime, you know? And just waiting for those, for that one week out of the year, we can wear a sweater, you know? I, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to uh, sweater, sweater weather. Sweater weather. Sweater weather. Um, so, hopefully... It'll happen uh, soon. We're going through the book of Ephesians, and um, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying this study, and I'm challenged by it. And um, I have um, my Bible is marked up with all kinds of coloring and all kinds of notes, and um, it's kind of cool how you can. Uh, Read God's Word and still discover new things, even if you've read the portion of Scripture numerous times. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to cover, Lord willing, first 13 verses. And last week, we only covered verse 1. So, I, so I, I'm not making any promises, okay? I'll just let you know that. I, I'm, I'm going to say first 13 verses, and then we'll see how far we get. It's like, it's like you're in the Olympics, and you want to do a long jump, you know, and you've been watching the guy on TV. You think you can jump long enough, but you realize that you just can't jump. So I'm trying to jump really far. Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given uh, to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before you before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations uh, was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Can you turn me down just a tad? I feel like I'm scaring myself out of my skin here. So that, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities and heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom... We have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Now, that is a mouthful. Thirteen verses, and what in the world is this all about? Well, Paul's in prison. He's actually tied, he's chained to a Roman prisoner, Roman soldier in Rome. He's at house arrest. He got there because he was accused of bringing, um, well, he was accused of bringing somebody into the, to the Jewish section, we're where, uh, 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 crossing the Gentile line. But he was accused mainly, uh, he was in there because he was telling his story and he, of course, he um, shared how now he's bringing the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. Long story short, he was taken to Caesarea for two years, and then he takes a boat to Rome, for, and he's there for another two years. He's in prison or in captivity for five years, close to five years. He is waiting for the people who are accusing him to come from Jerusalem. Okay? Meanwhile, while he's there, he writes various letters. He writes this letter to the Ephesians. Okay. So he is Paul the Apostle in prison, and he begins to write to them, and we covered verse 1 last week where he starts off by saying, I, Paul, look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And he, then he remembers why he's there. And he gets so excited that he actually interrupts himself. He actually does a parenthesis, right? You ever do that where you kind of start talking and then you get sidetracked onto another su- subject? and Then you realize, oh, here's what I was really going to talk about. I do that all the time, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's like a parenthesis, what Paul is actually doing is he is addressing these Ephesian listeners and just by mentioning the fact that where he is and what he's doing so excites him that he has to tell the story of how he got there in the first place. He says in verse 1, for this reason, what reason is he talking about? Well, previously he just was talking about how Jew and Gentile are now being made into one body and that we're being built into a temple of God. Now, this is going to come into play. In fact, it's interesting because what Paul does here is he, he's, he, he plays off a, a, a pattern. It's called the divine warrior pattern. I'm going to give you a little technical stuff. How's that sound? Okay. In, in the ancient Near East and in the ancient East, they had, um, they had gods they believed in, right? And if your God and my God got together and they fought, they would have this, this conflict and then somebody would win. So they would record that conflict. Then they would record the victory and say, okay, the winning God is now the king, and then because he's the king, guess what? We get to celebrate, and then he gets to build a house or a temple. So what you have in Scripture, you have actually in Scripture a pattern that's repeated. You have a conflict. Take, for example, the book of Exodus. You have God, the God of the Hebrews, against the gods of Egypt. The Ten Plagues, you know, Ten Commandments. Who's the actor's name? What's the guy's name? Charleston Heston, right? Let my people go, you know, and the, you know, that's, you just picture that. That's God against the, the, against the gods of Egypt. That's the conflict, okay? Who's victorious in that conflict? Well, God is, right? In the book of Exodus, there's a song recorded. It's called the Song of Moses or, um, I forget what it's called now because, I'm even in that, in that same thing. It's called the song of what is it called? The song of something. You think I would, I would know this, but my brain is—it's Sunday night. It's called the—it's the song at the sea. It's called basically. And what he does is he repeats. He goes through the same pattern. We had this God, our God, and their conflict, and our God's victorious. And what's interesting is that the writer of Exodus actually goes through this pattern. We're victorious, God's the true king, we're celebrating, and guess what happens next? We're going to have a temple. Because a winning God gets to dwell with that people, right? They would think, what they often thought was that there was a God over a territory. Okay? They say, where are you going with this, John? I'll tell you in a second. In the book of Ephesians, you have the same pattern repeated. I'll tell you in a second. You have what you have is the conflict between Christ and the ruling powers, right? You say, w- so what? Okay, Christ is now victorious, and what we just got through studying the last couple weeks is the fact that not only is he victorious, he has now made his people into one, and we are his temple. Do you follow that so far? So there is the, the conflict, there's the victory, there's who's the true king? Who's the Lord above all of powers? In fact, go back to chapter 1. There's a reason why I'm developing this, just trust trust me. Look what he says in chapter 1, verse um, verse 20. It says, Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name. And he put all things under his feet. Verse 22. You see that? That's the victory of, this, of Christ, right? He's won over death. He's won over sin. Now he's victorious, right? And what's the, next sta- uh, what's the next stage? The next stage is the fact he builds a house. He builds a temple. That's at the end of chapter 2, which we saw last couple weeks. And he said, well, why are you bring this up? By the well, time out. He, he repeats this pattern several times, even in Ephesians. Why does he bring this up? Think about this. Here you have Paul... Talking about this God who's one over over death, right? He's one over sin. Right? He says, You were dead in your trespasses, trans ah, I can't speak. You were dead in your trespasses. See, you know what I need is is one that hides my my water bottles, because it's kind of, you know. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? You were dead, but he made you alive, right? Ephesians 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, halfway through, you were divided. Jew and Gentile, right? He made you into one. You were dead, you were alive, you are divided, now he made you into one, right? That's Christ's victory. At the end of chapter 2, now he's building you to a temple of God. Great. So Paul, Christ is victorious, he beat the devil, he beat sin, he beat, you know, all this kind of stuff. He anticipates the question they're going to have. What's the question they're having? What's the question that most people ask nowadays about God? Give me a question that most people ask nowadays about God. If God is then if God is good then why do bad things happen? why is it that bad? If God is so good, if God is so my God well, I'm, 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 I'm asking a question. <laughs> He's about to give me theology from Genesis three. Good, on, good. Yeah, Adam and Eve, yeah, yeah. Here's the question people ask. Okay, if God is so good, or if God is so powerful, how come bad things and bad people get to rule, right? How come people get sick? How come people get cancer? How come divorce happens? How come all these bad things? If God was so powerful, why is this happening, right? Paul is anticipating the same kind of question. Well, Paul, if Christ is victorious, then why are you in prison? Right? Right? Christ is overruling everyone in the universe. He's far above all power and authority and rule, right? He's sitting at the right hand of God, and we're seated with him in the heavenly places. Why are you in prison? Where's the victory in that? Is this make-believe victory, God? Or is it real victory? I don't know about you, sometimes I've had it with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, give me some... You know, right? Come on. Sometimes you have times where you're like, I know positionally I'm this way, but practically in real life I have to live in a fallen state, right? And I have to, and I, where's that button, God? Where's that secret passage? Where's the secret passage in my scripture that will, will solve all my problems? Right? Come on. Because sometimes we can, we can make Christianity into some a bunch of um, Pithy statements and a bunch of, um, what's the word? Help me out with this. What's that? Platitudes. platitudes. Feel good, right? And we could turn Christianity a bunch of platitudes. And somebody says, that's great for you, but what do, I, what do you tell somebody who calls you up and, and they say, I'm, I'm having real problems here. Where's your God here? I had, a, I had a friend contact me on Facebook. I don't think he's watching. He's not watching. He's uh, Um, He messaged me on Facebook. I was at I was at the airport recently, and and uh, and he's uh, he's struggling, and he's um, and so he's he's having some really hard times, and uh, financially hard times, emotional hard times, and he he shared that it's been like that since his dad committed suicide, since when he was 13, and of course. I didn't realize this, but here I'm thinking of all these, well, you just trust the Lord, you know, and kind of just, you know, do our normal stuff we like to do, which is true. And I gave him the Scriptures. I gave him, I said, you know, listen, brother, I, I don't understand why God, you know, I, I, I don't understand. So I had, to, I had to really speak to him in a real way because he wasn't ready to receive Scripture verses, you know, why do I have to go through this, John? Why there's no help? And I, and I try to encourage him in the Lord and in so many ways. But I realize this is real life, right? I'm dealing with somebody who's really having a hard time. And Paul's, Paul's, Paul's talking to the Ephesians. He's in prison and they're like, what is that all about, Paul? God is victorious, yet you're in prison. See, God doesn't always, God doesn't run the universe that we would, the way we would run the universe. Right? Come on. Now, if we were in charge, right? Come on, how about submit? We would all the bad people would be gone already. Right? Come on. You hurt me, you're gone. And also, there would be instant sanctification. You give your life to Christ, and instantly you're sanctified. That, if I would run the universe, that would be my, because I'm not God, but that's how I'm thinking. Maybe you guys like to have, you know, the situations go like, but me, I'm not like that. The title of this sermon is, So You Want to Be Used by God. So You Want to Be Used by God. I think that's the title. Better look at my bulletin again. <laughs> So you want to be used by God. As I'm reading this portion of the scripture, and I'm thinking, what's going on with Paul, and why is he sharing this? Um, it becomes evident to me that, that Paul is a different kind of character. Here's Paul, the prisoner of Christ. What was he before? He was Saul, the Pharisee against Christ, right? What's Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel. Saul was the tall one, right? He was tall, tall Saul, tall, dark, and handsome, right? And he was the people's choice. He won the people's choice awards. You know that, first ever, people's choice award. You know, that, that's Saul. That's who he's named after. But Paul meets Christ. No, first of all, he's a Pharisee. Who's a Pharisee? Pharisees were very religious. They wanted to help. They wanted to really be strict on the law because... Because their people had gotten to trouble by getting away from God, right? The whole deportation thing, Babylon thing. So after they came back, they said, well, we've got to have some rules here. We've got to make sure our people stay the line here, you know, and stay. In, and so the Pharisees were really, they would be Republicans today, okay? The Pharisees would be Republicans. Just, okay, just there, there would be white-wing conservative Republicans. That's the Pharisees. We kind of like Pharisees, maybe. <laughs> some of us do, right? <laughs> some of us do, not all of us, but some of us would relate to that. And here's Paul, or Saul, rather, against Christ, and of course he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and he's changed. Now he takes on the name Paul. Paul is a Roman name, and it means small. He goes from tall Saul to small Paul. And tradition says that he was a small dude. That he was a little, you know, he didn't make starting lineup. He was probably, <laughs> he was probably, you know, whatever string he was. That's okay, right? Small Paul. And now he's in prison. He's in jail. He's tied, chained to this to this Roman soldier. Shul- that I can't speak English. I almost said shoulder. What's the word? Soldier. I don't know. I'm going somewhere with this. Just, just I'm developing a point here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm developing a point. So now Paul is 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 a, What is he saying in verse one? I'm a what prisoner of what? I'm a prisoner of who? Do you know, it wasn't, now, now in reality, if you and I looked at him and said, well, you're a prisoner of Caesar, I hate to break it to you, Paul, but you're a prisoner of Caesar. No, no, no. He's a prisoner of Caesar because he's a prisoner of Christ. It is his commitment to Jesus Christ. It is his commitment and his devotion to Jesus Christ they got him into prison and keeps him there. He's he doesn't look at his situation and say, "Oh Lord, why am I here?" He understands that his devotion is truly to Christ. How do you go from Paul, who, tall Paul, tall Saul, to small Paul? And you're a prisoner of of Christ. You are compelled by Christ. You are you're not worried about getting out of prison because Christ is your devotion. When Christ is your devotion, you can be in the most ungodly situations and un. um, You can be in the most unpleasant. Okay, when somebody went to prison in those days and these days today, there was a lot of shame involved with that. Let's be truthful. How many guys would follow a prisoner? would walk after the footsteps of a prisoner. Come on, let's be real. You hear somebody gets out of prison, they, come, they want to apply your job, and they, or they want to work with you, and say, I was in, I was in, the, I was in the... What's the word for prison? I was in the pen, I was in the... I was... Yeah. And you know, most people are be really like, oh, what were you in for, right? Come on. Who's going to follow a prisoner? There's a lot of shame with that. Unfortunate to those who are... Who's going to follow a homeless man? You guys want to follow a homeless man? That's Jesus Christ. I have nowhere to lay my head. So we're following a homeless man, Jesus Christ, and we're following a prisoner in Paul. But Paul's not embarrassed with that. If you want to be used by God, you have to let go of what people think about you. If you want to be used of God... What Christ thinks about you is more important than what people think about you. See, as I'm talking to you guys right now, you guys are here. I'm imagining in my mind that Jesus Christ is sitting right here or in the back row. I have an audience of one. You all all just happen to be overhearing what I'm saying to Jesus, right? And And he's sitting right here. I have an audience of one. My devotion is to Christ. I'm, I live to please Christ. My devotion is to him. Well, my mom thinks of mom. I love mom. But my devotion is to Christ. Right? It is your devotion to Christ. It is that commitment to Christ. That's really what drives a person. Like, what drives, what, pers- what keeps a person on that road, that hard road, is Christ. Right? So if you want to be used by God, he has to be the goal. Not what people think, not what mom and dad think, not what brother and sister think, not what society thinks, not what Facebook thinks. Where's Facebook? Not what Facebook thinks, you know. How many likes do we have already, right? It is Jesus Christ who is our goal. That's who we please. That's who we, we aim to follow after. We, we will endure. I mean, Paul talks about his, his hardships. He endured shipwreck, he, beatings, all kinds of stuff he talks about for Christ, So in Ephesians 3, he has, as a prisoner of Christ, he has a divine perspective. His perspective, I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. Now, some of us, we would like this. But Lord, you've called me to do so much, and here you got me stuck. Lord, you, you want me to do X, Y, Z, but here I'm stuck. I'm useless where I'm at. And Paul says, get a divine perspective, because ultimately, Christ is more, is not, okay, put it this way. Christ is less interested in what he accomplished through you than he wants to do in you. Jesus Christ is more interested in what he wants to do in you than through you. Yeah, he wants to use you, but the work that Christ wants to do in me is more important. Okay? I feel like I'm not really, sorry guys, I feel like I'm not communicating as well, so I'm, please bear with me. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. I'm not, I'm not, Maybe I had, my coffee was too early in the day or something, but um, okay. So so this, this perspective that Paul has, but you ever wonder, you ever, I want to ask God and say, God, isn't there a better way for you to do what you want to do in me? You ever want to ask God that? Right? Like, Lord, shouldn't you try this? You know, this plan I have, I think it will really work, God. You know, Jesus' family did the same thing. Hey, Jesus, his brothers said, hey, Jesus, if you want to reach the crowds, go up when the festivals are going on, when everybody's there, and announce yourself. Here I am, the king, son of David, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You ever ask the Lord, Lord, how come... This method, why not this method? Look at look what he says in, in verse 2. He says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship. The word there for stewardship is oikonomia. It means one who manages a household. We get the word economics from this word. Stewardship. Does anybody else have a different translation? than Who's got a... Yeah. Dispensation. That just flew over my head. (laughs) Dispensation, you know. Stewardship. And what they would have is you would have a household and you hired somebody to manage the household. They would make sure that the... People got paid properly. They're not eating too much or not working too less or whatever it is. And they would manage the household. And you as a steward were responsible for the master's stuff, right? You were as a steward responsible for for managing, for making sure it's run properly. Paul says, I'm a steward of God's grace. I used to be in charge when I was Saul, but now I'm just a steward. But I I was a master of my own But near, I'm a steward of God's grace. Paul understood what, what it was. He says, Listen, I had my own plans for my life, I had my own agenda set for my life. But when I met Jesus Christ, I realized that I'm now part of the plan of God. Paul realizes that in order to be useful to God, I have to realize I am part of His plan, I'm a steward in His plan. That's why in the previous chapter, in the pre- previous week, we looked at the different stones that made up the temple, right? And, the, and, and this, this house that God is building, right? And each person is like a stone that belongs in a certain place and has a certain function, right? That you're, you're part of an overall plan. Sometimes you feel like, I feel like I'm just one of those stones that are left in the quarry and I'm useless. And God says, No, you're not useless. You have a perfect part of my plan. Have you guys ever been part of a team? Do sports, you know? And your team's, you're part of a team. You know, certain, you know, if you're on a baseball or football, and you have your your place as your play, and you have your role, and you have your your function, and everyone is contributing to one overall plan, right? To win the game, to score the points. You know, Paul says that you and I are part of that plan, and Paul realizes that in order to be used by God, the realization of being part of that plan had to come through. He says, I'm a a steward. What is he a steward of? Look at verse 2 of God's grace oh my Lord Oh, if there's anything to, to, to get out of whatever I say it is this I pray that and I don't know what each person here I pray that each one of us would experience or has experienced God's grace to the point where it changes your life because at the end of the day at the end of the day We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. We're changed by grace. It is God's grace that does it all, right? Paul experienced the grace of God. Who was Paul? He was an enemy of Christ. He would be the last person you have chosen to be something for Christ. And Christ says, he's my instrument. Nobody else would have chosen the Apostle Paul. You know that, right? No one. Everyone would have, you know... Turn in their resumes. Pick me up. You know I have this many things I can do for you, God. You know LinkedIn page and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. You know, pick me and I'm I'm qualified. You know it's like the Bachelor. You know the you accept my. You no, know, not Bachelor. But we. It's like you know. Um, and Paul was the least likely person, but he experienced the grace of God. What happened, I'm I'm sorry guys, I feel bad. I'm not, it's like you can have, you got like five messages in one, right? You You got 13 verses and you're like, okay, where do I go? Okay, Lord. The purposes and plans that God has for us He's the one that carries us through. He's the one that... that, that it's His grace. It's God's grace. It's, it's His grace of doing whatever He wants to do. It's, it's, it's not because of something we've done. It's not because of how, how well we speak, how eloquent we are, how, how gifted we are, it is because of God's grace. God says, if I want to use this person, it's because I'm going to choose to use this person. And it's nothing that I see in this person that is deserving. God says, I see Paul and he is undeserving in human standards, but I'm going to use him because I'm going to be gracious to him. If you think about Jesus Christ, or you think about God, I hope to God, that the first thing that comes to you is that God is gracious. No one's going to say, God, I'm your man. I'm your woman. Here's what God will do. He will strip that away. He will strip that away. He will make you from Jacob to Israel. He will put a limp in you. He will take everything away from you. He will strip that pride from you. Because, he's, because if, he wants to, if you want to be used of God... He has to break you and make you into somebody that is so dependent on him that, that only he gets the glory. Does that make sense? If you... rent these stairs away, you know. <laughs> I keep tripping over these stairs. <laughs> Sorry. <I'm, laughs> I wouldn't have curved stairs. I, I would just have straight ones, you know. I wouldn't. I, I don't know. When God wants to accomplish something great, write this down. When God wants to accomplish something great, he does not look for great people. When God wants to accomplish something great, he does not look for great people, but weak and empty people. When God wants to accomplish something great, he does not look for great people. This is why Paul is a prisoner and is being used by God. This is why Jesus became a servant. Why Jesus is not born in Jerusalem and, and, is, and doesn't go to the best of schools. He, he's born, he's raised in Nazareth. You know what Nazareth's like? Nazareth is like Hila Bend. Okay, that's Nazareth. It's Hila Bend. It's, a, it's just a blip on the map. Except Hila Bend's probably bigger than Nazareth. It's a ho town. It's a. It's a. Nobody. No, nothing's good from there. See, God doesn't look. He doesn't need great people. He needs weak and empty people. When God wants you to do something great, He does it. He does not look for great people, but for weak and empty people. Why? Because in our weakness, His strength is highlighted. See, that's why. How that's that's how God can use. The children of Israel to come out of Egypt with what? Moses and a staff? And then they get to the promised land, they go around Jericho. And what do they do around Jericho? They march around. What 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 do they march around with? They got some potteries, right? We're going to tear down the walls. We're going to tear down Can you imagine you're on the wall of Jericho you're watching them like, what are they doing? Clapping these potteries and blowing these trumpets and all this kind of, yeah, right, whatever, you know. You know, who takes that seriously, right? It looked ridiculous, right? And what, then what, of course, you know what happens. The, wall came, the walls came tumbling down, right? Sing the song. But there's no, there's no bombs in that. There's no... There's no TNT. There's no just you being obedient to God. Okay, just you I mean just walk around seven times. You know the walls came down. Here's Gideon. You got thousands of Midianites, and God strips your army down to three hundred. And they're not Navy SEAL people. These are you know, like you know regular <laughs> regular guys. You know, and you're going to take the armies of Midian with three hundred people. 300 people. What's the point? Wait a second. Time out. We're in a church, right? We are in a church. There's how many billions of people are Christians? Do you know when the Jesus Christ left the history and the future of the church into 12? Okay, minus Judas, add Paul. Let's say 12 fishermen, tax collector. The Beverly Hillbillies, maybe, or something. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he left the future of the church into these 12 men in their hands. And that's, that was his plan. But they were weak. They were empty. They needed the Holy Spirit. And it was, it was obvious that Christ was the difference. What's my point? If God wants to use you, be prepared for him to strip you, to make you weak, to make you dependent, to make you humble. Be prepared for God to take things away from you rather than to add things from you. Life is not going to get easier. See, we think, oh, I'm a Christian now. That means the road will be smooth for us, right? Where is that going to happen? No, it's not going to happen that way. We wish it would happen that way. Why? Because every step of the way is a step of being dependent. Lord, okay, we have victory today, and then you turn a corner and there's... See, Paul says, listen... He says, I've experienced the grace of God. I've experienced Christ. He says, listen, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. I'm not even doing this for myself. I'm doing it for you. That's the work of God. Oh, man. I've obviously only got to verse 2. Sorry, guys. Verse 13 by Christmas, maybe? Who knows, right? Listen, when God wants to use you, when God wants to use you, he's not going to look for something great in you. He's going to look for something weak in you. When God wants to use you, it's not going to be because you make the difference. It's because Jesus Christ makes the difference. Why? So he can get the glory. It'll be obvious, that was the Lord. Right? It'll be so obvious, well, there wasn't anything about him. That was Jesus. He gets the glory. Then Lord, as as Paul, you know, as Paul sort of prays, he says, "Then make me." Or Peter says, "Then wash me, and then make me even more dependent on you, God." I can't sing. You know that? I'm glad to see and Lisa can sing. My daughter can sing. I can't. You don't want me singing, right? I don't have the strongest personality in the room. I'm not that no one's saying. But but I'm like, Lord, why am I even doing this? I'm the one who wants to be hiding out in the back room there. Right? Get me me out of here, right? Because God will put you in situations where you have to depend on Him, where you have to say, Lord, you better come through, or else (laughs) this whole deal is done. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. I've experienced the grace of God. I'm a prisoner of Christ, and I'm okay with that because He gets the glory and I don't God highlights his he, his his um, his strength is really highlighted in our weakness. Honestly guys, I think um, sometimes not only will he strip you and make you weak, independent, but alongside that you'll go through things in your life that has nothing to do with you. You'll go through trials and, and tribulations and experiences that has nothing to do with you, but it's all to prepare you for what God wants to do through you. Does that make sense? He says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. In fact, he repeats that idea a couple times. If you look at, well, actually, uh, look at verse Verse 13. Verse thirteen. Actually, he had, he closes his, his parentheses in verse thirteen. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulations, on what, your behalf, for they are you for your glory. Think about this. He had the perspective that I'm going through a lot of stuff here, but it's really for your behalf. Think. Oftentimes, what we experience or are experiencing is for the sake of others. Paul says it is for you Gentiles. He says in verse two or verse one, for the sake or for the benefit or on behalf of you Gentiles, I'm going through this. So, you want to be used by God? Be prepared for God to strip you of your strength, for make you empty and depend on Him, for Him to do and bring you through things in life whereby you will be used as a vessel and a tool. To bless others and be a benefit for others. Does that make sense? So you want to be used by God? Then expect trials. Expect situations where you're gonna have to be on your knees. That's part that is part of the curriculum. Not easy. Jesus says you follow me you're going to have to carry your cross gulp what about my plans God I really wanted to be the chief of Pharisees I wanted to be the head of the Senate. I really wanted to have certain things in my life God what about my dreams God that's <laughs> that's where you have to have it out with the Lord right What about my? What about me, God? God will accomplish a whole lot more in pain and suffering with His will than with an easy way of life and not His will. I don't know. know. Maybe I'm just talking myself here, but Lord, please use me. Okay. So Paul is excited. And I'm out of time, and I only got to verse 2. Whatever. You know, verse 2. Daniel's excited. Okay, Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that I know every person in this room has a desire to be used by you. And the Apostle Paul was your sort of your poster child of being used by you. And I know not everyone has to, will will have to endure the hardship that Paul endured. I know we live in a wonderful country and we haven't had to face the things that Paul did. But you have your way, Lord, of allowing us to be dependent on you, God, of stripping our strengths from us, stripping our pride from us, of making us weak, of humbling us, God, to bring us in that position where we have to depend on you, Lord, so that you get the glory, God. And, Lord, if it means that we encounter more trials in life so that you're glorified, then bring us through that, those trials, God. Strip us of, this, of those areas of pride that, that we rely on, Lord, of ourself, Lord. Help us to deny ourselves, Lord, and follow Christ. Lord, we pray that you would work your work in our hearts, God, your work of grace, of humility, Lord. Help us to glory, Lord, in the things that you bring us through, God. May you be glorified in everything we do and say, God. And at the end of the day, Lord, you are our only person that we want to please, God. We have an audience of one, that's Jesus Christ we will, we want to hear well done good and faithful servant in Jesus name amen